0: All right, welcome to another episode of School Podcast. Today, we have Alex Strickvan who is a ML engineer at ZenML and also Capstone graduate. So Alex, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good.
1: I'm at the end of my day. You're at the beginning of yours, I guess. So we're just covering all yes. possibilities.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're out in Europe. I will talk about that for sure. Um, before we get into what you're doing at work, um, how work is and and all that, Tell us a little bit about your background prior to law school. Prior to law school, so I was working
1: as a historian. Um, I'm kind of trained. Actually, I did my bachelor's degree in languages, so in Middle Eastern languages, and then spent a bunch of years writing books and doing research and eventually getting my PhD in, in history and um, yeah, I was doing that for like 15, 20 years before I decided to oh. to kind of make a
0: a, a pivot um, towards launch school. Yeah. So were you, were you in academia or are you doing research?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I was in academia, but like academia adjacent in the sense that like I never had a university position. I didn't do a master's. I was doing a lot of field work and I was doing like things that academics do, but I wasn't like on a fast track to tenure or, or anything like no, that. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, gotcha. So um, academic background, I did it for a long time. 15, 20 years is a very long time. Yeah. That's a whole career unto itself. Yeah. Uh, what prompted the change to software?
1: Well, in part, some like super specific stuff uh, relating just to the nature of my work. So my speciality is in Afghanistan. And so most of my field work and research was like actually on the ground in Afghanistan. I was living there for over 15 years and like as you wow. can imagine that's like uh like a, not a stress-free place to be and yeah at a certain point like my body and my mind said yeah i could use a bit more stability in my life so that's that's uh, kind of why that, i yeah, found a, a, was looking for a, a different different
0: way yeah that's amazing do you still obviously you keep up with the news in afghanistan and all that still is that still part of your your interest sure it's
1: I, it's not a core part of my my day. I still follow things, but not not in the same way that I did in the past. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Fifteen years in Afghanistan. thats uh, that's amazing. Um, so, wanted to get into software, and um, you found Launch School, uh, and then just went through core, went through capstone. Is there any in- interesting uh, stories there about how you found found a Launch School, why you chose Launch School, anything like that?
1: I mean maybe the interesting thing is um that when I found launch school I wasn't actually too into like the web development side of things um and mm. I kind of almost found machine learning before I found launch school and then I kind of said oh well you know actually if I want to do this well I should probably get a like a solid foundation in like the software engineering piece and uh, yeah at the time and with my research I didn't want stuff, to
0: get another didn't want to get another PhD in machine learning.
1: <laughs> no, no. Um, although, funnily enough, I'm kind of gone back to studies and stuff now. We can we can get into that later, maybe. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I I I realized that this was like, if I was going to go in this direction, that I wanted to like properly invest into it, and yeah, I felt like it would be like a ten to twenty year like chunk of my life. So should should put in the time um and it took me like three three and a half years to go through um core plus cap capstone which is on the i guess the longer
0: side of things but you were very thorough in your three years there uh so that's really interesting that's been my experience too in terms of when you think more long-term a lot of the short-term anxieties and stress goes away Mm. right there's just a lot of um conflicting attributes or conflicting forces in one's life and uh so for example a common one i hear is like i don't have um i don't have time to study i don't have time like 20 hours a week i don't have that um i have to, to work but i this work is not satisfying doesn't pay enough so it's like you have to somehow break this cycle you have to invest in time to learn so that you can get to this like more satisfying higher paying job mm-hmm. but i don't have time to invest in that um, I think that's where the allure of, like, a short-burst three-month program, you know, gets people. It's like, great, I can hold my life at pause. Hit the pause button on my life for three months. Um, But when you think more long-term, all of a sudden, those, like, conflicting forces in the short-term go away. Right? They go away. If you, if you just think more long-term.
1: I was mm-hmm. so reassured by, like, I don't know if the website still has this, but it's almost like, clickbait for long-term thinking it's like
0: you know you this
1: probably program probably isn't for you if you want something short-term like just like
0: (laughs) that that's been my experience though when i think about all the forces at play in education right if you can think more long-term the forces actually align if you think about things in terms of six months or one year or two years there's just there's there are it's you're you're trapped Right, you're trapped by all these conflicting forces that push you in certain directions. Um, so it, you already have this mindset. You came to launchable.com and you're like, great, this this thing totally aligns with um with what what how I think about things already. So um, didn't I guess it didn't take too much convincing. Like you're not you're not one of these people who like shopped around a lot or and you know did a bunch of different resources and then.
1: No, I mean I I, I done some like little courses here and there, some like basic Python or basic whatever a javascript or something mm-hmm. but never i realized it was something that i was into but then i thought you know once i'd figured that much out then i wanted to actually do it properly um and like put in the time so, yeah.
0: yeah yeah great okay so you went through core went through capstone all in a span of a, a three-year period um and you're a dutch citizen so you're doing job hunt in uh in europe uh what was that like and let's 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 Put a timeline here. Uh, you started your job hunt when? Uh, so,
1: this would be like mid 2021. Um, yep. Mid 2021.
0: Okay. Yep. And that was a good time. Marqueo, I think, was good at the time. I think it was a, 2020, was like kind of a slight dip mm-hmm. just because the, everyone was confused about what was right. going to happen. And then 21, 22 was pretty good. 23, obviously, right now it's, it's down a little. Mm-hmm. So, um, 2021, uh, good time to do a job hunt. But how was that experience in Europe? I get a lot of questions about how how do I you know pursue a job hunt in Europe. Um, we give everyone the same formula in Capstone. Um, how how was that? Well, let me let me let me ask you because I get this question a lot, and we, maybe we can just talk about this real quick. Is how was the Capstone in Europe? I mean, you had to stay up all night or late. So I was actually in Karachi, uh,
1: in Pakistan. So I was completely opposite. Oh, it's even worse time zone. Yes, it's <laughs> yeah. really the worst time zone. Um, I spent like two months transitioning. My, my Capstone team have like very funny stories about like that they were so <laughs> amazed by this. But I incrementally shifted it so that I was awake at night and asleep during the day. Um, and I did that for the whole for the whole Capstone time. And I think there's only like one or two other people who've like done that. Um, in, your, in Asia, yeah. yeah Asia
0: yeah. is just the worst time. Australia too. It's a really bad time zone and yeah. you just have to... Yeah, Anybody you'd... who is... Gonna do capstone from that time zone. I mean, we gotta sit down and talk. <laughs> Make sure you understand the the the, the, the sacrifices necessary. Yeah, it's yeah. it's um it's uh, there's a lot of there's like like a lot of academic studies being done by people who worked in night shift, mm-hmm. and there's all these adverse health effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. um, luckily for capstone, we just do it for you know the duration of capstone, yeah. right? Um. And, and after that, you're you're back to normal time.
1: So that that bit was yep. that bit was weird. Um, but I mean, I was just fully transitioned over and living that that weird lifestyle. Um, and yeah. some of the some of the job hunt was also a bit weird because I was interviewing. I wasn't actually physically in Europe. Um, uh, but again, there's, there's something kind of completely unique to me. Um, and yeah, I mean, there is a difference between the software engineering tech market in europe versus in the us um most obvious difference is there's a salary difference like generally particularly for the kind of positions that, that capstone grads are going into um but also i mean there are other differences between the two as well you know in europe you have universal healthcare and all sorts of other stuff as well right so it's not not fully comparable
0: The salary difference always shocks me in terms of just various people around the world and um, what they can get despite their quality, Mm -hmm. right? The quality level is kind of the same, but um, major salary differences. Um, Now, in Europe, um, I've noticed in certain countries, I won't name them, (laughs) but in certain countries, there's uh, a pretty strict adherence to, like, degrees. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't have a degree, they just don't know what to do with you. Mm -hmm. I think in the United States, um, it's more open, Mm -hmm. right? If you don't have a degree... People take a chance on you if everything else aligns really well, right? Great personal fit, cultural fit, technically competent. Uh, people are willing to take a chance on that. Uh, in certain places around the world, there, there's just you know, you don't have a degree, they, they, they won't look at you. What was your experience going through that in Europe? And also, did the fact that you had a PhD, even if it's in history, really help people or help you uh, get through interviews? I think
1: I never had any explicit like confirmation of this, but my, I, my my hunch was that my having a phd accidentally got me into a bunch of doors that probably i shouldn't have got into so i had a ton of interest and like screening interviews and, and so on and then when they realized it like it wasn't a technical phd then i didn't have follow-up uh, <laughs> so i had that that was kind of weird in my case the
0: hr the hr call the hr sure. call was like yeah oh you're not a phd in uh, computer science right um,
1: um i guess some computer had gotcha. had scraped this from my cv um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, otherwise, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it did me a disservice. Um, and certainly right. I, yeah, the more, more I spend in this world, like the more I realized that being able to like communicate properly and structure your ideas and work with other people, all of these, like things that launch school doesn't really necessarily get get into like all of that stuff is super valued by uh, by companies absolutely
0: this is why we do interviews in 109 mm-hmm. right at first the first um first assessment we do interviews and part of it is this is to show that this is you need to be able to communicate at this level mm-hmm. um and we don't have a curriculum on communication right but we actually show you where the bar is um so and and all that said you still have to have technical competency right you have to have at least a baseline of yep. technical competency but it's not like you you know you you're, you're you have to be at the top of the pile um in in technical ability to be selected for that job that's not true right so you you do have to be maybe above the 50 percent tower at least right to to be competitive but then all, the, all these other factors come into play
1: sorry mm-hmm. the other thing there on that point is that you know there's there's i don't know what the the split is within, within lawn school of like people who are coming into lawn school aged, I don't know, 18 or I don't know, you have all of these young kids now doing lawn school, but
0: like most are like mid-20s, mid-30s. Okay. But on the on the, <laughs> like okay. think, on yeah. the,
1: on the older side, side of the spectrum, like late 30s, early 40s and, and so on, like actually companies super value like someone who's like mature, has experience, has worked in a yes. variety of different situations and all of that stuff is yeah
0: gold. Yeah. Yeah, prior work experience actually is really important because you show that you have the ability to come in with that professionalism, you know how to handle yourself, super, super uh, uh, important attribute uh, in a work environment. And um, I've said this a lot. I always say, like, launchable has got you covered on the technical front, right? You can go in and feel good about your technical ability as long as if you went through core and capstone, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it it requires more than that to land a great job. Um, So, Okay. Uh follow-up question related to uh, job hunt in Europe again, just because I get a lot of questions about this. What if I don't have a, What if someone doesn't have a degree? How do you think a job hunt in Europe will go, or if they just have a bachelor's degree? I
1: don't have any indication that that would be an issue at all. Like, and yeah, and some okay. places will have the expectation of just a bachelor's degree um, mm-hmm. as as kind of a baseline, um, but. Uh, beyond that I, I i didn't get any sense like unless you're obviously going into some like research position or whatever but like capstone isn't setting right, you up for right. that necessarily anyway so
0: yeah. yeah yeah it's a hard requirement hard requirement like in the us too there's requ- there's jobs that just sure. require a degree yeah. you know or a phd and you just wouldn't apply for this yeah. um okay yeah let's let's get into let's get into work um after graduation after the job hunt you Ended up accepting this company called ZenML. Tell us what that company's about. What does it do? Um, and and what do you do there?
1: So ZenML is a, a company, a startup based in Munich, in Germany, um, and we build an open source ML ops framework. So maybe a bunch of things to unpack there. <laughs> so open source means that all my work and stuff is is available on GitHub and whatever. Like anyone can see it, and it's. People can tinker it and adapt it and, and, and whatever wow. themselves. So everything is. Uh, we work in the open, um, in public, which is common not everywhere these days, but like in the machine learning world, this is kind of a um, a thing or a feature of the space that people distinguish themselves by being like open source. Um, and the MLOps part um, is kind of um, emerged out of the need to bring software engineering best practices plus like devops which we can talk about as well maybe Mm -hmm. like into the machine learning world so machine learning is this kind of this whole thing which has its whole traditions and expertise and so on but whenever you develop these machine learning models or things that you build with machine learning like you also need to like make sure that they're tested properly and you need to be able to deploy them in the right way and uh, it's kind of professionalizing um, the kind of putting machine learning in production, um, which is kind of a little bit of a wild, wild west, um, even still now. Because yeah, doing doing things with machine learning, whether it's on a phone or or whatever, or or even just on the web, like all of this stuff is complicated and hasn't been done at like global scale necessarily before. Not to mention all of this new stuff like large language models and stuff, which which people are busy with at the moment. Like it's there aren't really best practices yet. It's still being developed and still being figured out. Um, yeah, and actually that was one of the things which attracted me to the company that they were sure. a small startup trying to like define and find a way within uh, within this, this sure. space. So it's like a
0: yeah an and ML ops. Um is machine learning operations. Yes. Operations in software engineering lingo typically means managing and deployment and in production, mm-hmm. right? Operations. That's just a keyword, like DevOps, right? Operations again. Um and just just to provide an analogy and correct me if I'm wrong, but um MLOps is sort of like when we deploy our are just a web application into production. It's a similar analogy there. And so for the core curriculum, when we when you get to the point where we're deploying applications, we use what we call a platform as a service, which is a managed deployment uh, environment, which uh, for for logical students, we use something like Heroku or now there's some other ones like Fly.io, render. Um, and then in the capstone, we kind of peel back that layer and we talk about how applications, the web applications are deployed on a your own infrastructure, what would you do if you were to build Heroku, for example, or at least tr- attempt to, right? Uh, infrastructure pieces. And MLOps is basically taking that concept of deploying applications in a production and all the things that go along with it in the ML space with the large language models. Yeah. Right? And, and this it- is what you mean when you say professionalize. What you're saying is you're grabbing software engineering practices with regards to managing and deploying applications into production and taking those same best practices and applying it to uh, machine learning models.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, there's, there's a pretty strong tradition of, like, experimentation and machine learning is, like, somehow connected to the world of science and statistics and, you know, there's this whole data scientist job position and so on, which is, like, lives in this world between software engineering and statistics and maths and, and, uh, and stuff like that. And, um, so when people are, when these data scientists are working and they're, they're building things and they're figuring out how to, how to do machine learning, um, which I realized we haven't also haven't necessarily got into what that is, but, um, when they're doing this, you need to you need to be really careful about a whole bunch of things that, you know, the things that you're building aren't producing garbage, that it's not changing over time, that the things that people are passing in as inputs to your model aren't, um, um, yeah, aren't trying to, like, hack your secrets out of the model, like, whatever. Like, th- there's a whole bunch of extra things on top of, like, the usual software engineering Operations,
0: yeah, yeah. it's it just, I mean, I feel like it's very similar to to the workflow that we have for uh, web applications. I mean, there's like a QA workflow, mm-hmm. right? And um, and there's a cybersecurity discipline mm-hmm. that is maybe we don't call that part of like DevOps, but there's definitely a cybersecurity discipline that that its goals to work, you know, think about the, the the security aspect of things. QA does the basics, right? obviously developers have to have to even you know make sure the, the fundamental things are, are are there um so that's really interesting and i i actually attend a lot of i have attended a lot of uh, r studio uh which is a uh, r is a popular language in the data science world r studio is a company that backs r the language and produces a really popular ide that everybody uses and then they put on conferences and i've attended a bunch of these conferences and it's always interesting to me to uh whenever i attend these conferences and attend talks it's like they introduced a new concept. They're like, We're, this is happening in you know, our studio now, in IDE. And most of the audience are like non-tech, non-software engineers, but they're like uh, academics. Um, and they're very excited about these features. For example, one's like, oh, we have now a version control. Imagine if you make a mistake. And you can now look back into history and uh, see, you know, go back to previous versions. And people are like, oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. And I'm just like, yeah, we've been doing that forever, you know, in software. So, um, and then they they have like a deployment thing, like an automated deployment thing within their IDE. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's Heroku. We've had Heroku for for you know <laughs> 15 years now. Um, so it's really funny for me to see that again, kind of like professionalize the the workflow, um, taking things from the software engineering discipline. Can we can we draw a similar analogy here with regards to the machine learning world? taking things from the software engineering discipline and instituting it into machine learning world. Yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of, um, uh, like the data scientists who are producing these things and doing these experiments and so on. There's a lot of... Um, jokes i guess is the the kind way to put it like uh, kind of down down talking of like software engineers that, like these people produce bad code and then we have to like make it proper and uh i did so not know on.
0: that that's what machine
1: learning people do <laughs> but um <laughs> but it's actually you know it's like these people that they spend like years studying statistics and these complicated things and then they have to do another thing and another thing and another thing uh, on top mm-hmm. of it, and you know, you have this concept of like, just like you do in 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 web engineering, you have like the full stack, um, full stack engineer. But you also yeah. have the full stack ML engineer, so someone who's able to mm-hmm. who knows all of the statistics and is really good with the math stuff, but is also able to like deploy to AWS and scale globally and 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 whatever, and who's just as familiar with Kubernetes as they are with um, uh, yeah, so some kind of statistical inference or or whatever, and. There's there's actually a lot of stuff like going on. It's like I'm I'm um the 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 people who can do like the full spectrum are like pretty rare, I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's why, you know, you having gone through core capstone learning um, you know, software engineering learning programming, uh getting introduct- introduced into software engineering discipline and then going to the NML, you're able to contribute, right? Um talk about that um, a work experience what, what do you do at work um, it 's first of all super interesting to hear that all your work is open source and mm-hmm. open for everyone else to judge uh, kind i don 't know if that's uh, everyone would be enthused with that idea but um in, instead of having like your colleague do a code review now everyone in the world can do a code review for you uh, uh, how how 's that experience what, what 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 do you work on um, and I, also I see you write a lot of blog posts which is um, always amazing and they 're all very detailed so um. Yeah. Talk talk about your work there.
1: Sure. So, um, obviously I've been there for two years now. So, like, my work has changed over time, both as my skills have changed and as the company has changed. Um. So early on, um, well, firstly, when I started, like, we switched over to, um, we were working in Python, so there was like a little bit of a ramp up there, and I was doing kind of things which were a bit more focused on like delivering in that language. Um and then yeah, as as my skills and experience and, and and so on in context with the company developed, then I took on things a bit more on the ops side. So, um, revolved a bit more around like writing Terraform code for deployments, perhaps um, working with Kubernetes, a lot of stuff in the machine learning world like happens on Kubernetes and in relation to Kubernetes, and um, yeah, plus like our our framework like caters to all three cloud providers. So I'm on any given day, like I could well be solving a bug in AWS or GCP or Azure. So that's like super great exposure to like all of these different, um yeah, to, to the different cloud providers and, and, and so on. And, and wow. it requires you that's to top. be very like, yeah, to, to learn quickly because certainly when you start, like for the first six months, that would just like, Drowning uh, in all of this new stuff, right?
0: Yeah. Of course. I mean, think about the stuff you didn't know. Yeah. I mean, we didn't prepare you for this, uh, uh, right? Python, ML. Uh, uh, you might have used AWS and Capstone, but what about Barely. Azure yeah, and yeah, GCP? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're they're not not there. But I think this is where it's really interesting because there are certain disciplines that are so fast moving that everyone's doing just in time learning. Yes, yeah. and I think it's important to. I feel, I feel like people who are very new to software engineering as a, as a, as a discipline, they don't, they don't, they can't figure out what's what, what difference between the two, like where are all, everyone's just doing just in time learning together versus like, these are the things you really have to know, right? You got to know like basic SQL statements, right? (laughs) People will side eye you, side eye you if you don't know that, but if you don't know, you know, um, some machinery thing, it's it's like, we're all doing it right now. Mm. We're all figuring it out. Like you said, um, even at Zen ML, which is like a leader in this space, they're trying to figure out what the best practices are mm-hmm. and all that, right? It's being formulated at this moment. Um, five years from now,
1: be you'll totally get different. side-eyed.
0: Yeah. yeah, if you don't know some basic thing that we're trying to figure out now, right? So, the discipline keeps moving, keeps improving, keeps formalizing, and um, what we consider just-in-time learning changes, right? But the fundamentals, the fundamental concepts are, are, are roughly the same, and um having you know having to go learn all these new things wow that's that's incredible i kind of did want to ask how did your colleagues your manager receive that like were they did they did they expect you to take uh, this is always a tricky thing right when you hire somebody new and they seem really smart and good and a good person um but what was what if their expectations was for you to ramp up in like one month instead of six, right? So I
1: was, I guess, lucky because I was employee number four um, uh, when when I joined. So in that sense, I had fewer colleagues, I guess, and there was like it was super early in the company, so we had more time for me to flail around or like figure things out um, than maybe we would have now. Um, so by the time, yeah most other people joined like it was um it was fine and i think it was also super lucky in that my colleagues um basically gave me the gift of saying like we know you can figure this out like you've got this which is like a blessing and a curse because like it means that like yeah, people give you the benefit of doubt and, like, allow you to take on things that maybe you shouldn't, like, necessarily take on at, at a certain moment or whatever. But also, like, that confidence and their, like, yeah, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a gift in a way that, like, yeah, they allow me to take on big things. and Yeah.
0: What caught my eye was uh fairly short time after you accepted, you started producing articles. And I thought that was such a great tactic. Now, you... You know, you didn't have to produce articles publicly, but I do think that when you're tasked with something and it requires a lot of on-ramp and you're not able to show result, one of the things you can show is your research that you've done, right? At least show that you're able to consume information. You're not just like sitting on, you know, sitting on your computer and not doing anything or just being frustrated or spinning your circles. You're able to at least produce some documentation, some clarifying documentation for others, if they were to go down this road again. And those articles caught my eye. And I I just I was like, wow, you, you know, and myself not knowing too much about machine learning or machine learning ops, I was like, is Alex an expert this now? It's only been a few months, like what's going on? Um, what, What was it just your academic background that or did somebody ask you to write those articles, or what prompted them? No,
1: I guess it was also, I mean, firstly, I learn by writing about things, so that's just my my method, and uh, I get the most of the value just by writing it. It doesn't need to be published anywhere. But, you know, it also coincided with the fact that, like, this is actually value that it brought to the company as well, because I kind of restarted their blog and, like, wrote, wrote a bunch of articles there about what we were doing and so on. Did they
0: ask you to do that? Did they ask you to restart their blog, or...?
1: no not 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 explicitly i think i just volunteered for it or yeah i mean as, they were just like you write a lot you might as well put it on our blog <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean it was 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 kind of obvious um somehow um and yeah you know particularly with with startups and small small companies you have a, like a lot of leeway to take an in- initiative and you know i also started up mm-hmm. our company podcast and Got to interview like um, a few dozen people, like top people in the machine learning world. So all of this stuff was like benefits me, but it also that's benefits great. the company. And so that's you know early on, you're trying to show that you have value in lots of different ways. It doesn't necessarily need to be like hammering out code.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's so true. And um, after managing a lot of people, now I- I've definitely re- noticed that certain people, if you assign people certain tasks, they get Certain types of type of tasks done very quickly, and other tasks are just tasks are just a slog, mm-hmm. and you just realize people have preferences for tasks sure. <laughs> and for tasks that they enjoy super fast. Like for in your case, it might be writing, right? It's just like boom, done. Um, and when I notice that, it's almost like that's great. I, I I see it, but sometimes it's hard to figure that out if I don't give somebody enough tasks. I almost like need someone to tell me, mm-hmm. right, or prove to me, right um, the tasks they like, um, then it helps me understand what tasks to give them. In your case, you demonstrated that on your own, right? Um, instead of having like your manager try and error, what you like and where you're fast at, but you also um, need to be so. careful
1: at the same time, not to just take on the things like I, I could go and write blog articles for like for the rest of my life, but I'm not going to get better as an engineer by doing that. So, um, yeah, yeah, you have to
0: balance that. But. Yeah, For sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't mask. Uh, ultimately, you, you, we got to bring business value and think about impact to the business. Yeah. Um. And, and yeah, and, and also, I don't, you probably don't want to get pigeonholed as a blog writer sure. either. Right? <laughs> um, even if you're good at it, it's like, I don't necessarily want to grow into a technical writer.
1: Yeah, and um, engineers, as I discovered, really do not like writing documentation and this kind of thing as well. So it's like very easy to get pigeonholed into this.
0: Give it, yeah, very easy to get recognized, and yeah. then also very easy to get pigeonholed. <laughs> uh, that yeah, it's a catch twenty two. You gotta gotta have a sense when to uh, when to get recognized and then back out, yeah. <laughs> make room for the next person. So um, that's funny because I, I I think that's true for so many little. like um, i I almost call them janitorial tasks but not in a pejorative way like they're they're just things that need to be done like like css for example Mm -hmm. right um and this is one way for fairly new software engineers to get into a very very experienced team because you're willing to do all these things i'm you know you're willing to do documentation you're willing to do css you're willing to do a little bit of system administration uh that nobody else really wants to you know, spend hours doing. They can do it. But it's just like, I don't want to set up that server, right? I don't want to configure that firewall. Even, uh, maybe somebody else can do even it. Even writing I, tests, right?
1: Like, this is something which, like, writing tests. generally people, like, aren't super. But, like, when you're just starting out at company, writing tests is, like, the best way to get to know the code base because you have to, like, check it and figure out how it works in order to write the good test, right? So, yeah, I, I did a lot of that early on.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there's all these little tasks. And so sometimes we're like intimidated by like, well, look, all these people, they all have 10 plus years of experience, mm-hmm. how am I supposed to go in there and contribute? Yeah, you contribute with all these, quote, unquote, janitorial tasks. And you're able to have that breadth of, and, and positive attitude. you know, you're not too cool for school too cool right. for work, right? I'm willing to do whatever I am willing to contribute. Um, and all of a sudden, you're in that group, and and they're, you know, mentoring you and you're, your work grows and grows, and a couple years in, you're, you'll be in that group, and someone else will come in and do the generatorial right. <laughs> work. Right? That's how it goes. Um, I think that's really good advice. Um, anything? I mean, how? How? I guess I wanted to take a step back and just ask, like, how is it going in general in this in this domain? Um, we don't have a lot of. It's a fairly new domain. Um, we don't have a lot of capsom grads, and this is why I wanted to talk to you about it. Um, the ML space, ML ops space. Um like how's it going for you what 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 are some other big pieces in this domain if so, if you were to just introduce like give a tech talk to uh like a like a core student at Launch School about ml ops or ml as a discipline how would you describe it
1: i guess the the, the easy way of describing it is to you know in in software engineering right you have a program that you write which takes some inputs and like outputs some 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 results or something like that, the difference with machine learning is that not only do you have the inputs which go into this thing in the middle, which we'll call a model um, that produces some outputs, but you also have some things that we call weights, which are like um, yeah, some kind of way for the model to know um, uh, to know how to convert the inputs into the into the outputs so um yeah. And so machine learning is like the process by which we teach this model to better be able to convert the inputs into the kinds of outputs that we want. Um, so in that sense, it's not so difficult in terms of a paradigm, different in terms of a paradigm from from traditional software. It's just like a different way of doing it. Plus, the really big thing that's different is the fact that you, you, the way you train these models is you have a bunch of examples and data and stuff on which to... Um, to kind of uh, to train these models and yeah there's some like specialized hardware requirements and, and and so on but um all of that is kind of um details i guess
0: and, and the job here at least relevant for let's say a typical logical grad isn't to like produce the models there's no. only a small handful of like foundational models right these these foundational models are are uh, very finite in number that are that a lot of people use and they're produced by like all the big tech companies, right? And and OpenAI and Facebook and 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 all that. Now the the work is in operationalizing these models, I mean, right? For a specific use case.
1: Yeah. I mean there are people who are working on like the machine learning part, but that's like a different skill set, different education, different background almost. Like that's yeah. If you want to become a data scientist like there's another set of skills and stuff that you need to learn. You need to go and study to statistics right. and,
0: and whatever. Um, so for for us, like software engineers, we th- we can think of them a model as like the Postgres database, right? We use it, but there's somebody else that's, that creates it. Yeah, just some some function uh, that someone typical, has
1: created. That yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. the function can t- has its own constraints. Can need maybe needs to run on its own special hardware. Um, maybe you need to like test it in a different way maybe you need to make sure that it's not like because the function doesn't stay static like from the moment you put it into production it starts degrading most of the time because the data and the inputs and like the world changes um and all of that stuff yeah requires just a different different treatment um
0: yeah, applications require constant maintenance. This is this is um, true for web applications, too. I mean, it requires constant maintenance. Um, the degradation happens in for web applications, too. Um, just in the most simplistic case, it would be like logs start piling up, right? If you deploy an application onto a server, um, it, you can't just leave it alone forever. Um, the, the logs will eat up hard drive, and then pretty soon you will crash the server because you run a hard drive space. That happened to me before, right? So you've got to pay attention to it. There's always maintenance involved. Um, and for, I, I just find a lot of similarities and I think I'm trying to get to the point where if you learn the, the, the topics in core and capstone, because the capstone is where we cover a lot of software engineering disciplines, right? Core is more programming centric, um, capstone is more software engineering centric, uh, or at least try to introduce you to that, to that world. A lot of these concepts transfer over to To not everything, but a lot of things do transfer over enough so that you're able to do all right.
1: Yeah, for sure. And like, just to give an example, like I, um, I'm the person responsible our company I created and deployed and, and and whatever our like company Slack bots. So it it in our we have an open source community and users come in there and they ask support questions and so on. But we have like a Slack bot which is connected somehow to a machine learning model and and so on like trained on our documentation um so that when someone like when one of our us engineers isn't necessarily around they can just ask the bot you know how do i write my code or what's going wrong in my in my thing and like this thing has been up now for for four months or so on and like there's like just constant little failures it's degrading randomly it's yeah, monitoring needs to be set up in the right way. The monitoring doesn't work the way you thinking thought it would working. It's just like a thousand things for something even relatively simple like that. Um so yeah, it's hard. I know. That's
0: it, it the most hilarious thing is when when I get emails from prospective logical students like, "Hey, will your program teach me to build you know, this this app, right?" And usually it's like some very very exotic sounding app like twitter plus facebook right I'm like, <laughs> how, how how do you like launch do you think like, yeah, that's all right you know I'm, I'm i'm thinking about something more advanced i'm like yeah well this little little app here <laughs> that you're you've logged into at launch school.com uh, took years and years to do <laughs> so um it's 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 these, these things require this is why there's uh, uh a lot of software engineers working on even sometimes the simplest looking apps right yeah. behind the scenes there's a lot of things going on um peeling back the layers um i feel like we can talk about machine learning um as a concept as a discipline for like another hour or two and we might want to do that uh as a tech talk or another interview but um we're almost at the end of the hour here and i just wanted to respect your time and a couple last couple questions here for you for this podcast um can you give us an idea of what your day-to-day is so alex wakes up at what time does what um you know something in the morning, have some lunch, something in the afternoon, what does your day-to-day look like as a ML engineer? Sure. So
1: at work, we start at 9 a.m. We have like a 15-minute stand-up where everyone talks about what they did um, basically yesterday and what they're planning on doing today and things which are are blocking them. Um, We're a team of 13, so we still have the whole company um, uh, at the stand-up each day.
0: Nice. Everyone's in Europe, though?
1: Uh, We are from like Morocco to India, so... But like half the half the team are in in Germany, yeah. So we're all interesting.
0: So that's but it's nine a.m. local time for you. Yes, yes. Okay. And then
1: basically, um, most of the time, um, it's you just have the day to work on whatever you're you're working on, Um, unless it's like once every two weeks we have a planning meeting. So I head up the open source team. um, So I help run that, run that, Mm -hmm. and figure out how we're going to allocate. Stuff for the product and the vision for the product and so on um, but that nice. that doesn't happen so you're heading heading up
0: heading up operations here a little bit
1: well for this this this
0: this little team I help 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 run things <laughs> you're um, <being> modest <laughs> but it's good it's awesome and yeah,
1: what you do during the day depends a little um obviously um uh, you know there's there's some reviews of pull requests and and code that other people have written on the team that's that's a part of it um but mm-hmm. usually um yeah because the codebase isn't so crazily huge like i you're, you know i'm familiar with with most of the things that are going on in in the codebase um so the reviewing doesn't take up a crazy amount of time and the rest of the time you're implementing things and that really can range from fixing bugs to debugging something that's happening on someone else's system or um at the moment, I'm writing a lot of Terraform code. Um, uh, yeah, spinning up infrastructure for other engineers to work on. Um, next week, I'm going to be working on like basically overhauling our um, GitHub um, continuous integration system. Which yeah, we kind of reached the maximum of what what it can do. So we need to just like overhaul that and figure out a better way to to do integration testing. So
0: yeah, it, it really depends. It's like a small startup, so this is why when we're in core, we don't realize all this machinery behind the scenes that takes that it takes to have an app in production. An app running on a laptop is just the beginning. <laughs> it's just the beginning of that story, right? Yeah. So coding up the features is just the beginning of the story the the discipline of software engineering is about what happens when you move this application into production. And there's a million different things that can fail and requires constant, I almost call it like gardening. Mm-hmm. You have to have a gardening mindset of like walking around to all these systems and just checking it out and, and pruning the things. And even if things aren't falling apart, you still got to like do things ahead of time and then set up monitoring and all that stuff afterwards. Right. So um, it it's, it's, it's a, it's a lifestyle. <laughs> it really is. Um, how many hours do you code in a day?
1: Um, I would say most of them. I mean, 75%, 80% at least. We don't really have that many meetings. Like I would say maybe I have two hours of meetings a week. A week. Wow, that's really good. Something like that, yeah. We try to do a lot async, Um Yeah. So some some weeks it may be, maybe a little bit more if there's a, some feature we're trying to figure out, but we're also a very like independent team. people are trusted to get on with things themselves, and like once yeah you know what roughly needs to be done, people yeah let you get on with things
0: but I'll I'll give you some context here because I know that you are an extremely thorough communicator asynchronously because I remember in Capstone we had we had people write reports, and I remember always um when it was your turn i was always like all right got to get my coffee ready got to you know got to cut some good get my shoulders a good report that you're giving back <laughs> i just no i just remember i'm like i got to get ready for this it's not and the other people sometimes they don't write enough right i'm like oh that's only like 3 sentences i need more details for for you it's like at minimum 2 3 pages right i got to expect that so i think my point is this async communication i think everybody thinks of this like oh great you know 2 hours of meetings a week yeah, but right. But you have to be a great asynchronous communicator. Mm. You have to be able to write a lot of words and articulate clearly, clarify without. I think sometimes um, this is like famous in forums, right? Like I'm on Reddit a lot. I mean, every conversation on Reddit, if you don't, if you're not careful, devolves into an argument, just because every sentence can be read in a, in, a, in a kind of a mean spirited way, right? And the worst is when I'm like replying on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst because i'm just like fast and then you could just tell that derailed it because people have read that short response as being uh, condescending or something like
1: that that was a super like important lesson that i took away from the capstone experience working with the team and we we all got on well right but like we really learned that like you really have to over communicate with everyone about what you're doing and why mm-hmm. you're doing it and so on like even when you think it's stupid like that stuff
0: is never wasted Exactly. And you have to be thorough. You have to be generous, even in writing. Um, and and uh, like, like in Capstone, we always say this, right? It's, it's common for us to see. We make you, remember, we make you write like these uh, daily reports mm-hmm. after you meet, right? Because we want to see them too, like just to see what your team decided. Yeah. And also for yourself to have a history of, of your decisions and mm-hmm. journey. And uh, a very common phenomenon is one person will write the summary after a meeting, after that day, right? Daily summary. And then other team members will chime in and be like, "Hey, we—that's not what we decided at all." (laughs) Or like that, I I have a misunderstanding here. Mm -hmm. And even though it's a summary, right? And it's just—and it's that day. It's not even like a week later. (laughs) So staying aligned is—it's so—it's so so hard because we are all—we all have ideas in our minds. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, how do we get both of our ideas across? And it's like not just one way. It's not like I want to get my ideas into your head. Well, you—I also have to receive the ideas in your head, and then like synchronize them or somehow right synthesize them somehow so super hard um, that's like the uh, hard very, very
1: the difficult. hard work of like software engineering and teams like right there mm-hmm. like making sure everyone's on the yeah. same page and like oh you were just
0: read this like small ticket it's obvious to me what you were meant to do but like you did something completely different exactly and and there's ways of tackling it a lot of times it's like the default is like let's have a zoom meetings mm-hmm. right that's that's the default way of tackling it. There's other ways of tackling it too, but it it all requires over communication. Mm -hmm. So two hours of meetings a week does not mean I just talk to my colleagues twice a week. Mm -hmm. Um, It just means that we have to be excellent at asynchronous communication, right? So, um, all right, last question for you. What do you appreciate most about working in machine learning world and specifically Zen ML?
1: So, I mean, the machine learning world, I guess, like, one of the reasons why we're sort of having this conversation is that, like, it's blowing up at the moment. Or, I mean, it has been for a while, but, like, um, in a way that, like, touches many other bits of software engineering that it hadn't before.
0: I think crypto grabbed a lot of attention and and sucked it away a little bit. But now now we're back. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And um, so it's, like, it's a super interesting space, right, where, um, like, a lot of things which… To a greater or lesser degree, will like change the world around us, like are being built and formulated and put into place at the moment, and so it's it's super interesting to be like on that like front seat to like history in a way of like technology and how technology is like being implemented. That that's yeah, that that's amazing to be witness to. And um, ZML as like working open source in this space, and um, uh, as well as like a company that's trying to like define a little bit like how these things work and best practices and so on, you get to be part of that journey. Um And yeah, otherwise, like I think what I was saying earlier about like having a team that like just trusts in you and like allows you to like take on big things and figure things out and like, they'll be there to support you if you need. Like that's, that's super, it's a super nice feeling, even though I, particularly at the beginning, I didn't really feel like I, deserved it like I was not a very good engineer back then like certainly not compared to now um so yeah that's that's it's nice to be in an environment with like colleagues who have your back and like who you get on with so yeah
0: yeah so important glad that you are there and 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 leading leading the charge and um and what you said about having a front seat to history I think that's that's why I love software engineering as a, as, a, as a discipline. I know the salaries are good, but I almost think salaries are good as a consequence of that. For me, it's been um, nonstop that, right? So I I remember when I was in college, it was the first um, dot-com boom and then bubble. <laughs> but it was exciting. It was exciting. Internet, you know, applications on the internet, super, super exciting. Um, and then uh, software going into all enterprises, right? Enterprise software, all the businesses you can just see Banks, you know, Mm -hmm. hospitals, government, um, digitizing, right? That was a huge leverage. And then startups, right? And then you say, wow, you don't have to have these like large software machinery to make a huge impact. A small group of people Mm -hmm. can make a huge impact, right? Facebook, right? Google, all these companies that just went from, you know, very, very small number of people. Change the world, mm-hmm. um, and so startups was was uh, super super um, motivating and inspiring for me, mm-hmm. um, and 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 you know Web three crypto, um, really really interesting. I have a lot of opinions about that, um, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm still very interested in it. But we'll we'll say that for another conversation. And then obviously now like AI ML, right? we we're, we're as software engineers, we're constantly able to have that front seat. Mm-hmm. You know we're constantly able to do it and it's super exciting to be a soft engineer to be a competent software engineer right and to enjoy that fun to ride in that in, in, in the front seat of these things of these waves um and uh, it's exciting it doesn't have to be always uh fearful you know we're in a downturn right now but there's so many exciting things happening right you can focus on the fear or focus on the exciting I mean I don't, I was, I don't know. sometimes I, it's I, a little I, bit
1: a bit terrifying to see like how these things actually get made like <laughs> on the <laughs> on, on on the other side of the screen but yeah it's it's pretty amazing yeah,
0: it is terrifying um and um i remember when i first deployed my i had a startup way back in the day and i deployed sorry we have real users and then i was and i just realized i can see the entire database <laughs> i can see everything uh you know is that good or bad um, and and it made me think twice about like submitting information to websites. But there's like some developer out there, some, some system administrator can uh, access the database. So uh, your your Snapchat or whatever is uh, not as secure as you think. Yeah, but even
1: um, be, even beyond that, like I think it's it's like a lot of this stuff is way more brittle and like whatever, just like you mm-hmm. miss one comma and like everything falls apart. Like you hear about okay. all of these like things that sites that go down or whatever. It's like, it's often something really, really tiny. Um, and it yeah. just shows like how how far we have as well, like still to go as like a discipline, as, as an industry. Like obviously absolutely, things are
0: better than this, they were 20 years I'm ago. F- but yeah. This is why I'm fanatical about quality mm-hmm. about like uh, insisting on producing people who I would call colleagues. Right. And what by that I just mean I will give you the launch school.com code base. Mm-hmm. Right. And have you deploy it and work on it. You gotta know what you're doing because you could bring the site down. Right. right? <laughs> and it could and that will impact negatively impact a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want some minimum baseline level of competency. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and if again you want to work remote, you don't want to have a lot of meetings, and you gotta be a good writer and you gotta be a great communicator mm-hmm. and you gotta be clear and precise. This is all the things we, we emphasize mm-hmm. uh, on assessments, right? And, and try to, try to, um, let people know that's, that's how you get to like this level. Oh. And, and it's, it's not impossible. You can do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So any, any last words, words of, uh, advice or wisdom for people, let's say in a core curriculum who have an interest in this domain, this space. Um, how can like, Besides, like, focus, like, like, go through Launch school, let's say, <laughs> right? Uh, but besides that, after that, um, I, I think a lot of people just want to hear, like, how can they contribute given their skill set? Can they contribute given their skill set? Um, and, um, and yeah. Any, any, any thoughts there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I say, like, the fundamentals really do count. Like, it's not just something that is up there on the Launch School website or whatever. Like, this stuff... Actually, does does matter and will take you far, and is actually like needed. Like the data science part of machine learning that we were talking about, like that's that's maybe a separate thing. Um, but like, as every company tries to get a little piece of like large language models and like bring it in, or like have their own chatbot or or whatever, like there's all sorts of ways to be involved in machine learning without necessarily um, needing to. Do a course in statistics, um, and like particularly at the moment, um,
0: I would say a lot of low-hanging fruit, right? Just just to make sure the models don't fall apart, <laughs> make sure uh, the the Slack bot doesn't doesn't uh, fall apart. So many so many areas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's why I don't. I'm not afraid for our discipline in terms of jobs. <laughs> There's just like way too many things to work on. Um, so yeah, thanks for stopping by the podcast, Alex. I think uh, you know you're doing great. Obviously, um, I look forward to just continuing to see you do well. Yeah, thanks for having me help.